right? So as many of you know, living here in the DMV, it means that when people visit us, what do we become? Right? When, when you have out-of-town guests come and visit you at your house, what do you magically become if you live in the DMV? <laughs> what did Olivia say? Yeah, tour guides, right? I can't hear. Tour, you, come, you become tour guides, right? That's just what we become. Every time someone comes from, from out of town to visit us, uh, there's always something on their list that they want to see or, or something that they want to do or something that they want to, to go and to visit, right? The National Mall is always on the list. The, for our family, it's usually the Udvar Hazy Smithsonian with the rocket ship out near Dulles. That's usually on the list. The pandas at the National Zoo are on the list. And of course, the White House is something that people always want to see when they come and they visit. But one of my favorite places as the tour guide, and if you're going to make me your tour guide, I'm going to go to some places that I want to go to. And I like to take people to the National Museum of American history, the Smithsonian there. Now, I'm a, I'm a geek for American history, especially George Washington, so I also take them out to uh, uh, Mount Vernon, but, but I like to go to the Smithsonian because one of my favorite things to do is to take people to see the Star-Spangled Banner. Right, has anyone seen that exhibit at the Smithsonian? Yeah, it's amazing because I absolutely never get tired of when, it, when people walk into this dark, kind of weird, some might say dingy hallway, and there's these little plaques of information that are hard to read because it is so dark, and they're like, what are we doing? And then all of a sudden, they turn the corner, and wham, right? This huge flag. I mean, this humongous flag. There's this moment of awe and and some might even gasp a little bit. They have no idea what is in store when they walk into that little hallway, into that dark room, and then, boom, there it is. Right, this, this huge, amazing flag that is, that is torn into pieces, and it's missing uh, large sections. Almost, it almost hits you in your face with its size and its story and its power. And now I, I know that there's a lot of mixed feelings about the Star-Spangled Banner and the American flag in general and what it represents for a lot of people. But for this moment, I want all of us to go back to the moment that that flag was flying for the very first time. Okay? <laughs> and these words were written down. I'm going to sing it for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, say does the Star-Spangled Banner yet wave. Now, this is actually a poem that would later become our national anthem, and it was written in the midst of a war that Americans today, that we don't necessarily talk much about, the War of 1812. Right? The, the president and Congress, they responded to Great Britain's mistreatment of American ships and sailors on the high seas by making a land grab of Canada. Right? We want Canada. Right? So we made this land grab, and let's just say it wasn't pretty. At many points, it was downright humiliating how we got our butts whooped, right? So in August of 1814, the British, do, do we know the story? They ransacked and burned the nation's new capital named Washington City, including the White House and the U.S. Capitol, right? But, but at that point, Washington, uh, the city, it had only been the capital for, for 14 years, and it wasn't really 
a big prize for the British. The real prize for the British Army and Navy would be Baltimore and the harbor just 40 miles away. That was the prize. And so the Battle of Baltimore came two weeks later on September 12th, 15th, uh, 12th through the 15th in 1814. Right? America was weak. We were vulnerable. And we were on our heels. Francis Scott Key witnessed the bombardment of Fort McHenry, anticipating another devastating and embarrassing loss for America. But then he said this in his poem. Through the night, by the light of the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. Right? And during that night, he, he caught glimpses, uh, just small glimpses of this flag, this huge one sitting in a dark room in a museum still flying there in a fort near Baltimore. And it wasn't waving in victory. It was not a symbol of American dominance and strut and swagger. It was a symbol at that moment of just surviving. Things were not looking good. In fact, they were looking pretty horrible. But the flag still waving was a sign the, that hope was not all lost. There was still a glimmer. right? Despite the odds, the fort... And its weak nation at that point still endured a long, as long as that banner, that flag, waved. And that's the picture that I want us to keep in mind. It's that, that big flag waving in the explosions, in the dark, waving in the smoke, giving people a hope. Just a, a little bit of hope, a focus, just a little bit of a goal. Or at least the anticipation of a goal or something they can set themselves under. Right? Th this banner for a young country barely surviving was a rallying cry to keep fighting. To keep pushing forward. Right? If we use the language of the Foundry Church, we would say to keep forging ahead. Now look, let me zoom out here for a second. Because I know that some of us, uh, we, we're, in, we're in that moment right now, aren't we? Right? A part of our life is uh, things are just not looking good. Right? There, there's some confusion. It seems like everything is just blowing up around us. And maybe it's not horrible, but we just don't know what to do. We don't know what our next step is. There's some confusion around it. Or, or maybe, like this, this flag, like this story, the room is full of smoke and things are falling apart. And we're just not sure where to look. Right? Culture would say, look inside of yourself, and, and you'll find everything you need to get through. You just need to manifest it, and, and the good things of life will come to you, and everything will be okay. But uh, we've been trying that for a long time, and ain't nothing manifesting. Right? It just isn't. Or in your head, you think, ah, if I just make it to the next thing, good, bad, or the ugly, whatever it is, if I just make it to the next thing or through this next thing, then it's going to be okay. If I make it to the next promotion, if I just make it, make it to marriage, if I just make it to the bigger house, whatever the next thing is in your head, then everything will be okay if I just make it. But it, but it seems like every time you make it to that next thing, well, a new problem arises. Or a new situation comes to bear. And you start thinking about the next, next thing, don't you? The list just gets bigger. And we're drowning all over again. And again, if it's not something heavy or negative, it's just, we just don't know what the next step is again. 
we don't know where to go. We don't know how to improve. Right? Over and over again, we're scrambling to find something to focus on just to get us through. We're looking for a banner to point our life at. We're looking through the smoke just for a glimpse of hope, something that we can focus on. And it is in these moments where we feel like those American soldiers and those American sailors in Baltimore, Baltimore, where we feel vulnerable and under attack, it's where I think another name of God, right? We've been in this series here at the Foundry Church looking at the different names of our God. I think this other name, this new name that we're going to look at today is what's going to get us through. It's going to be that, that thing that we see through the smoke and we can focus on and we can grab a hold of. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, and we'll be in the 17th chapter. All right, Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to be. Uh, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are for you to have, to take, to use, to give away. Uh, that's what they're for. So turn in a Bible to Exodus 17, and if you are more of a technology person than I am, I think there's nothing better than an actual physical Bible. Uh, but the YouVersion app is a great online or app Bible that you can download and turn to Acts 17. But however you do it, turn there so we can read it together. You can't take just my word for it. You can take God's word for it. So Acts 17 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, let me, uh, let me give you a little bit of a reminder of where we are, where we left off in the story of the Israelites, God's chosen people. All right, let's, let's remember where we started, right? First, the Israelites, uh, they were in slavery in the nation of Egypt. Then God delivered them from the Pharaoh, right? They, they had to cross the Red Sea. And so God, what did he do? He parted uh, the waters. Then three days later, they got a little thirsty and they began to whine. So God provided healing waters at Merara. Then a couple days later, they got hungry, so God provided them with manna. Food literally fell from heaven, y'all, right? And all of God's chubby people said amen, right? Then they finally found a place to camp and to kind of regain their senses. And again, the people had no water to drink, and so you guessed it. What did they do, right? They responded in their usual manner. They whined. They grumbled, they complained, and although they were testing God, the Lord provided water by instructing Moses to strike the rock that was near him with his staff. So things were, were finally calming down, or so they thought. Right? They finally had some food, they finally had water, they were in this camp, and they were like, okay, we made it out of Egypt, we can regain our senses, we can re regroup, reorient ourselves. They were camped, they had food, they had water, but soon being thirsty would be the least of their worries now. So let's take a look at this. Just verse 8 of chapter 17 of Exodus. Alright? It simply says this, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So this guy comes and he fights with them where they're camped. Man, can't catch a break. Right? The, the, the Israelites finally found a place to rest, and they were attacked by some of their greatest enemies. The, the Israelites and the Amalekites had been enemies for generations and generations. The Amalekites were the descendants of this man named Amalek, a grandson of Esau. And even though they were di both direct descendants of Isaac, 
they became enemies of Israel, a, a constant threat to the, the, the spiritual and to the, the national life and to the identity of Israel. So 40 years after the events of Exodus 17, Moses, he still describes the Amalekites as people who did not fear God. That just means they did, they did not respect God or who he was. Right? Not, not, just didn't just not believe in him. They believed in God. They just didn't respect God. Right? Big difference. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, this attack is explained and it shows just how much the Amalekites did not respect God or his people. I'm just going to read this one for you. So if you have a if you're taking notes, just write down Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18. But it says this: remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and he attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Right? Now it's obvious how the Amalekites viewed God because they attacked his people from the rear. And let me explain. What do you usually find at the rear of a convoy? The stragglers, right? The, the, the slower people, the slower things, the, the women with their children, the elderly, the sick, the cook tent, right? <laughs> the weak. In the lowest of all blows, the Amalekites struck the weakest of God's people who could not even put up a fight because the Amalekites did not care about what God thought. Sure, God was performing miracle after miracle in his work of delivering these people, the Israelites, out of slavery. The Amalekites, they heard about the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire and of smoke leading their way through the desert. They knew God's hand was on the, the Israelites, but the Amalekites did not care. They still attacked. They just didn't care. It was their way of giving a big middle finger to God by attacking the rear ranks. Right, but God had an answer. All right, read with me. Let's look at this. Verses 9 through 13 is where we're going to be. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on the side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13 says, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. All right, so that's the, that's the battle plan to defeat the Amalekites. Now, it may seem a little bit strange, unorthodox even, right? It's a little strange. I mean, think about it. But you have to remember, this was the very first battle for the Israelites. And we, we read about a lot of battles that the Israelites participate in throughout our Bible. But this is the first one. Remember, they've been in slavery 
for hundreds of years, and they were slaves. They, they were not fighting in battles. They were just fighting to survive. And now, not long after their slavery ends, ex they experience this, this threat of war. These were not the Spartans who had trained their whole life for battle. These men were, were farmers, they were bricklayers, they were household servants. Things are not looking good, but God had a plan. The God that they forged their life on had a plan. So Joshua prepared his untrained fellow children of God to go into battle. And Moses and Aaron, which is Moses' brother, and Hur, which by Jewish tradition is uh, Moses' brother-in-law, went to Stand up on a hill. Now, all right, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, isn't that nice, <laughs> right? I'll go take these hoodlums, right, the, these, these guys who don't know a sword from a shovel, and we'll go fight our sworn enemies while you guys go sun yourselves up on the hill. All right, have fun with that. Right, but don't miss the most important thing that Moses, Aaron, and Hur bring with them to that hill. What is it? The staff of God. Right, Moses said we're going to bring the staff of God. Now this, this is the staff that God first gave Moses at the burning bush. Right, when Moses was just a, a, a farmer, a goat herder, a shepherd out in the wilderness. And he says, hey, I got a mission for you. I got a purpose for you. You're going to forge your life on me, and you're going to go and free the Israelites. You're going to go free your people. You're going to deliver them from, from Pharaoh. That's the same staff, right? God's been using it all along as a tool, as a physical tool to save his people. And so at this, the first battle of his people, God would use it again to save his people. So as long as Moses held the staff of God high. The people of God prevailed, it says. But apparently Moses, he skipped arm day, right? <laughs> he didn't do his curls, right? He, he, he wasn't working out. He grew tired. He was tired. So with the help of Aaron, with her, who supported Moses' hand so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down, Joshua defeated the Amalekite army. Now just a quick side note. Let me, let me zoom out for one second here. That is why stepping up to the table... In any church, right, we say here at the Foundry, we gather at the altar and worship each week, right? We gather here on Sunday. What we do from 10.30 to 11.30, 11.40, I go late, <laughs> all right? What we do is we, we have an upward orientation to God. We worship him. We give him honor and adoration. We hear his word, right? And then we say we step up at the table. That's either, that's just like the meals we have afterward, like the fun things we do with the Klondike bars today, right, for the fathers, all this fun stuff. Uh, it's the, the Bible studies during the week. It's just getting together for lunch um, and community, right? It's all that stuff. That's, that's why stepping up to the table is so important, right? Because Moses couldn't hold the staff up by himself. He had to have brothers in the battle that were next to him, with him. So just side note. So what made the difference? All right, we're going back into it here. What made the difference? Well, it was not simply Moses, right? Sure, he was, he was visible from the battle. His presence up there on, the, on the, the hill would have been a dramatic viewing 
up there for the, the soldiers, for Joshua with his hands up in the air. It would have been dramatic, but that wasn't it. That's what that's not what won the battle. And sure, Joshua would have been uh, Joshua would later become known as a great warrior, as a as a great man of battle. He was very strategic. He he, he fought hard. Right? He became a general, but it wasn't him. It wasn't his military skill. Right? But, it was, but if it wasn't Moses, if it wasn't Joshua that inspired confidence in the Israelite troops, you know, the confidence came from that staff of God. Right? It was up there. Not because the staff of God had something magical in it, nor did it by itself hold some inherent power. The staff of God inspired confidence in the people of God because it was a sign of God's presence and power and that it was with them and not only that it was over them it was over them it was a sign uh, growing that uh, showing that God was going to accomplish his work among his people Israel prevailed in battle when Moses lifted his hand and he put it in the presence of God for all to see both the Israelites and the Amalekites right we also prevail foundry church in our uh, you know it's funny when we say spiritual battles right well, we prevail in our spiritual battles when God's presence and power are in our lives and are visible for all to see. It's just the way it is. You see, Joshua, he had to fight. He had to fight. He had to go and he had to lead men into battle. And Moses, he had to hold the staff of God high over the battle. But, but in Ephesians, we are given clear instructions about the source of our strength during these times of painful battle. When we go into battle, maybe for the first time like the Israelites did, or when, when we're just like, oh, there's so much around us and confusion and destruction, and we feel like we, we just entered into a, a place where we could take a breath, and then wham, something hits us, just like these Israelites. But we're given our strength, and we're reminded of that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Right? In the New Testament, you can, you can look at it with me. But it simply says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We must never underestimate the craft and the cunning of our spiritual adversary, the devil, right? Nor we are to overestimate our own strength. And I think Christians in America, we do that too often. We cannot win spiritual battles in our own strength. We just can't. We cannot win on our own. We can, we can walk in victory over sin only when we stand under the strength and then under the power and under the protection of God. And especially when we do it shoulder to shoulder with our brothers in arms, like Moses did with her and Aaron. Right, God explains this to his people back in Exodus, verse 14 through 16. He, he explains this when he says this. He said, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it the, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Verse 16 says, 
saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. After the the victory, after this battle, God's first command was for Moses to write and to recite to Joshua his declaration, God's declaration, that under the strength of God, all the Amalekites would be annihilated, completely destroyed, as long as they stayed under our Lord, Nisi. That's that's the Lord, our banner. That's our third name of God that we're looking at. The Lord is my banner. Right? And, and to never forget this protection, this strength, this hope, Moses built an altar. Because God has shown Israel yet another special aspect of his character. Right? Israel had already discovered that God was their provider. The first name that we talked about, he was Jireh. And God was their healer, like we talked about last week, that he was Rapha. And now they're understanding that God, the God that they're forging their life on, is Nisi. That he's, he's the Lord. That he's the, the banner over his people. Just like that staff. Just like a flag flying over Baltimore. Right? He, he's over top. Right, the, the staff or banner in Moses' hand was a visible image of the protection and the power of God who provided the victory over the Amalekites. The Israelites were to understand that their victory was because God it was a banner over them, that he was their protection, that he was over and through and in control of it all. And this banner would never leave them, that it was always going to be above them, Over and over again, he would appear over them as their strength and as their hope and as their protection. Like one instance, Jesus even referred to it. The Israelites were yet again doing what they always did. They were complaining about not having food or water. So the Lord Jehovah, he sent a poisonous snake among the people. He said, all right, complain about something, complain about this. Right? (laughs) And the snake, it it did what snakes do, right? They bit people, and people were dying left and right, right? And so the Israelites, they confessed to Moses their sin against the Lord, and he interceded for them before God. And so God, the Lord, said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole and, and, and put it high above the camp. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. And so Moses, he did what he was told, And the people were all saved. Now, just a side note, that's why the medical symbol, like our nurses and our doctors, is a snake on a pole, right? Healing, right? Just two cents for you. (laughs) The banner of God saved his people again, right? This this instrument, this symbol of God over top, right? We looked at him and he'll be healed. Now, Jesus referred to this banner in his conversation with with Nicodemus in the New Testament, about the need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus, he told Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, all the way back into the desert, until even today, Foundry Church, God has been acting as a banner over us. 
He's been acting as a banner over top of us, protecting us, giving us a hope, even in the midst of pain and confusion and in the, the lack of clarity of smoke all around us. Today, Jesus is our banner lifted high on the cross. He's over us. And he protects us. And he guides us. He is who provides hope, healing, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. He covers us with his protection and victory. He is Jehovah Nissi, our Lord. He is our banner. Right? So amazing. It's so cool, right? All we got to do is you just got to look to him. As our God, as who He is. Now we gotta live this out though. Now it's cool to know that He's our banner, but we gotta live it out. We gotta put some action to it because, like I've said throughout this whole series, right? Now this is good to know. It's cool to know. It's cool information, but without any transformation in our lives and without us sharing this information in other people's lives, without transformation in their lives, it's just dumb. What are we doing? We're wasting our time, right? Information without transformation is just stupid, right? So, so how do we live this out? Well, how will the, the truth that Jesus is our banner, that he is Nisi, make a difference in your life as a disciple of Jesus? Right? That's the question. And, and, and then how are, are you rubbing shoulders with others that you are discipling? How is it going to make a difference in their lives? Well, consider this as the, as the banner, as I invite them to come back up. This is how you peel that onion. Right? This is how you go from information to transformation. The first thing is, is you have to trust. Right? You, you have to trust. Have you, have you, you got you to be honest with yourself. Have you accepted Jesus as your banner of forgiveness? Or are you holding on to the shame and the guilt of your past? Or maybe you've just never even accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior, that he saved you, redeemed you, has given you new life. And so you have to trust in him for the very first time. But you got to ask yourself, can you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you going to do that? Right? If not, right, commit your life to him and trust in him for salvation. As we, as we conclude our service, I'm up here and we can talk about that. How do you trust God? And maybe you've already given your life to Christ, but you, there's just something you're holding on to. Come and pray about that. That's stepping up to the table together, right? And that's the second point. It's pray. Specifically, pray for individuals this week to experience the presence and the protection of Jesus in their lives. Pray that these people, yourselves included, your families included, would be aware of Jesus as the one who goes with them. He's the banner over them. And then be bold. <laughs> if you are facing a difficult relationship or an assignment or a situation, and you know it's from God, set out and trust because Jesus goes with you. Rest confidently in his, his presence and his protection. Now, as awesome as it is to look up to the flag, like in a battle of Baltimore in 1814, there's something even better when you trust in Jesus. You can live a victorious life as you stand under Jehovah Nisi, God our banner. He's over you. He's 
can trust that. We can pray for that to be known in everyone else's life. That's our God. Let's stand together right now and let's worship him some more this morning. Nisi, our banner.